Hi everyone, welcome back to Understand the Bible with me, Phil Saker. And in this video, we're going to be thinking and continuing looking on through Judges, through the Judges story, Judges chapter 15. We've got to where Samson takes his vengeance on the Philistines. Now, do you know that picture, very famous picture by Holman Hunt? And it's called the light of the world, Jesus, the light of the world. It's a picture of Jesus standing at a door and knocking. And it's based on the verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. I only know that because it was a, a holiday club memory verse uh, back in the summer. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. That's what that uh, the picture is based on. So Jesus is standing at the door and knocking at, at the door of our hearts. And one thing that's really noticeable at the picture is that there is no handle on the outside. You see, that's why Jesus needs to knock because there's no handle to uh, for him to open. It only can be opened from the inside. And that's one of the, the things which is often drawn out from this painting, you know, that uh, only you can open the door of your heart to Jesus. Only you can let Jesus in. And that's sometimes the way it's, it's preached as well. You know, only you can let Jesus in. You need to hear the call and you need to, to open the door. Now, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think there is something true about that. But also, it's perhaps not very helpful in another way as well. And this is perhaps why we shouldn't get all our theology from paintings. Uh, we need to be look at the Bible and what the Bible has to say. And, and that's one of the things that we're, we're thinking about today, you know, is that how does grace work? Does grace kind of stand at the door and knock, but we have to let it in? Or is, is there something else going on? And that's what we're going to be looking at, particularly as we go through uh, Judges chapter 15. So we are going to, to rejoin this story in Judges chapter 15. And I'm not going to go through everything that's brought us up here. If you want to, to go through everything, then go back and listen to the previous episodes um, and we'll just dive straight in. And just a quick reminder, as usual, I'll put the link to the Bible verse in the description. So if you would like to uh, read or to listen to Judges 15, then um, I'll put the link down below and you can click on that and, and you can go and, and read it or, or listen to it yourself. So Samson, um, he, he takes a young goat and goes to visit his wife, even though his wife has been given to one of the other companions who was, uh, who was with him. I like that he took a young goat. You know, some people might take flowers. Samson takes a young goat. Maybe that's just how things were in those days. A young goat was a sign of love. In, the, in all of the aisles at Tesco, they had, you know, on Valentine's Day, they, maybe they had young goats. I don't know. Um, but that was the, that was the thing. He takes, he takes the young goat, goes to visit his wife and he says, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father wouldn't let him in. Even though they were Philistines, they still had some standards. You know, they still, well, no, he's, um, she's someone else's wife now. You can't just go and, you know, um, do what you want to do uh, with her. Well, Samson, though, he, uh, he only really cares, again, about what he wants rather than about what what is right you know he just doesn't really seem to have much of concern about that at all so he um he said look i'm going to get even with the philistines 
and he starts to take his revenge on them. And so what Samson does is he he goes and catches 300 foxes. I wonder how um, I wonder how long it would have taken him to catch 300 foxes. It's just such an absurd kind of a story. Catches 300 foxes and ties them tail to tail in pairs. Fastens a torch to every pair, uh, pair of tails. He lights them and then he lets them go and they basically burn the, the Philistine crops. Philistine little is going to be empty. And this is, the, this is the thing. It might seem to us just a bit kind of crazy and, and an absurd story, but actually it's a very serious business. If the crops failed in those days, then they wouldn't have any food. And, you know, really serious business. They couldn't just import food from other places, you know, but they, um, they, would, have, they would have been running on empty. So a very serious thing, actually, that, that Samson does. And so the Philistines, they are, well, who does this? They find out it's Samson because of what has um, happened with his wife. It was given to his companion. So the Philistines, they retaliate and they go and burn her and her father to death. So Samson then says, well, I'm going to get my revenge on you. And he goes and he attacks the Philistines and he slaughtered many of them, it says. And he went and stayed in a cave in the rock of Etam. It's interesting all through this story that the Philistines respond to, to Samson in a uh, kind of a, in a greater way. But Samson always comes back more. And every time the Philistines respond, they just make it worse for themselves because Samson comes back and, and makes things worse for them. I hold that thought because we'll come back to that at the end. But there's a real pattern that the Philistines just can't win, actually. And everything that they do ends up making things worse. Well, what happens then is the Philistines come up and camp to, in Judah, spreading out near someone called a Lehi. And the people said, why have you come to fight us? And they said, we, we, we want Samson. We've come to, to, to do to him as he did to us. Now, an eye for an eye they're saying. And Samson, he says, they, the, the people of Judah, they find Samson and they say, uh, don't you realise that the Philistines are rulers over us? And Samson said, I merely did to them what they did to me. It's, it's an eye for an eye on both sides. You remember what, I think it was Gandhi who said, you know, an eye for an eye and the whole world will go blind. And well, this is, this is basically what we're seeing, you know, I'm getting my own back, you're getting your own back. Um, and so on. Interesting that the that the Israelites they seem to prefer the rule of the Philistines to to being free, and we've seen that all the way through as we've gone through the story of Samson, haven't we? You know that the people of Israel they prefer the rule of the Philistines to being to being free. You know they say don't don't you know the Philistines are rulers rulers over us. Perhaps they lost their courage. Perhaps they thought, oh, well, we're not going to win this one. Or perhaps, they, um, perhaps they've just lost their moral compass. You know, they just don't think, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal to be ruled by, by the Philistines and have their gods and, and everything. Who knows what happened? But either way, it's not the right situation for God's people to be in. Not the right situation at all for God's people to be in. To be in, in, in servitude and not even care enough to, to, to want to get out of it, in fact, even prefer it to serving God. And the, the people 
um, they said, well, we've come to take you and hand you over to the Philistines. And Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. And they, they agree. They say, we're just going to hand you over to the Philistines. Again, there's this kind of cowardice here because they knew that the Philistines were going to kill Samson. So they, they basically say, well, we're not going to kill you, but we're going to hand you over to the Philistines who will. Again, it's just a real kind of cowardice about, about what they're doing. They just don't, don't do the right thing. But Samson, again, he turns it round on them and he breaks away from the, from the ropes on his arms and he finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey. I think it specifies fresh because it would have still had the teeth in and uh, that would have been a pretty formidable weapon, actually. I think they found examples, archaeological examples of donkey's jawbones, which had kind of like a metal implants in them where the teeth were and they were used as weapons. And I, presumably Samson wouldn't have metal implants, but uh, with the teeth, it would have been a pretty, you know, it would have done a lot of damage. And Samson does that. And he, he struck down, it says, a thousand men. And Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. He likes his poetry, doesn't he, um, Samson? But he, again, does even worse to them than what, what he did before. Now, he even struck down um, a few before, but now it's a, it's a thousand men. And how did he manage to do that, you know, with just one man? And it's because... As it says in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, not because of his own strength, but because the spirit of the Lord was upon him and the spirit enabled him to, to be strong and to, to fight and to defeat uh, all of these men, the Philistines. And Samson, when he, he finished speaking, he was uh, he was very thirsty, it says in verse uh, verse 18. I think that's probably a bit of a, a lovely bit of understatement. He's very thirsty. So he cries out, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God opens up a place in Lehi and water came out and Samson drank and his strength revived. So Samson begins to understand that it's not his own strength, but actually it's God's strength that, that gave him the, the ability to defeat the Philistines. He says, you have given your servant this great victory. So he's beginning to acknowledge that his strength and his, his kind of abilities, his powers come from God, not come from him, and, and that his victory doesn't belong to him, but belongs to God. So there is a, a humility about Samson as well, but he's still a very immature kind of a person. He doesn't do what's right, but he does recognise that the victory that he's won comes from God. So things are beginning to change a little bit uh, with Samson. So let's let's think about this story then, as we've gone through it quite quickly, let's think about this. I just want to think about it from three different angles. Firstly, from the Philistines' perspective. And we said at the beginning that every time the Philistines did something, they just made things worse for themselves. Whenever they tried to retaliate, they just made things worse for themselves and that pattern carries on, uh, especially if you know how the story finishes, it, it really do, uh, sort of backfires on them. And that's one of the, the interesting things actually about, about evil and about doing, doing evil. I, when I was reading 
the Psalms with um, Alec Mattia. He's got a book called um, Psalms by the Day. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is the Psalms. They, they talk about the boomerang effect of evil, the boomerang effect of evil. That is, it comes back at you. And that's what evil does. You know that little expression that maybe your mother used to teach you or whatever, you know, be sure your sins will find you out. Now, my mum used to say that to me sometimes, be sure your sins will find you out. And that is a very true saying. And it really, um, yeah, it, you see it here. And it's just a general principle in life that when we do wrong, that it comes back at us and often comes back worse. Because you know, when we do evil, that's not you know, God does care about those things and people who do evil will not get away with it, but will actually it will it will come back. And that's what we see in this. And you can see examples of this throughout history, you know, both kind of personally, but but also in bigger ways. Just to give you one example of a, a big way in which this kind of backfired, evil backfired, as it were, is in, in China. You know, in China, in the, uh, after the Second World War, the Chinese government expelled all of the, the foreign um, Christian missionaries from China until in 1953, I think they were all gone. Now, you might think, oh, that's a, uh, that was a terrible thing. But, but actually, what happened as a result of that? It was a, a bad thing. It was an evil thing. But since then, Christianity has grown in China in a way that it, it didn't when the missionaries were, were allowed to be there. So Christian, you know, God used this terrible thing for actually to advance what was right and good. And this happens in the Bible as well. You know, Joseph, in the story of Joseph in the book of uh, Genesis, you may remember from the Technicolor Dreamcoat, but at the end of that story, when his brothers have you know, left him for dead in a, in a ditch and sold him off into slavery and what have you, um, that actually, at the end of that story, Joseph becomes the second in command in Egypt. And he says to his brothers when they're reunited, look, it's, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Now, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And that's how God does things. You know that what is evil, God ends up using for good in, in some way. And that is how God, God does things. So that's the perspective of the Philistines. From the second thing is from the perspective of Israel. Like we said, Israel, they had come to prefer servitude to the Philistines rather than the freedom of, of serving God and being the people who God had, had called them to be. Now, they preferred evil to good. And they even handed Samson over to death. They even would hand one of their own over to death. And you think that's got a really strong parallel to what happened to Jesus, isn't it? You know, that Jesus, his own people, the Jews, handed him over to the Romans to be crucified. You know, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the chief priests, the scribes, as it says. And for example, Mark chapter 10, verse 33, the Son of Man will be handed over to the Gentiles. And that is just what happened. That people, um, that some, uh, some of them rejected Jesus, the ones in authority rejected Jesus, they handed him over to the Gentiles to be to be executed, like what happened uh, to Samson. And it just shows about what lurks in the human heart, I think. Now, Dick Lucas, who was a preacher from St. Helen's Bishopsgate, he said, the cross is proof positive that given half a chance, 
mankind will murder his maker. And this is, this demonstrates it, you know, that when Jesus was, was here on earth, that he was handed over, human beings handed him over to be crucified. And we preferred darkness so much that we'd rather give Jesus up to be crucified than accept him as Lord and Saviour. That is what the human heart is. It's that, that bondage to sin, that kind of slavery to sin. It's, it, it's got such a grip, sin, that we would even prefer sin than prefer a good and coming to God and living the life that God wants us to live. It, it holds us in such, in such a grip. And I was thinking about this with the, the Holman hump painting like I started with. I was thinking, what would a, a the, theologically accurate Holman hump painting look like? Um, and I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, Jesus needing to break down the door and drag us out, kicking and screaming. You know, because Jesus doesn't knock and let um, wait for us to open the door. Because actually we would never open the door if we were left to our own devices. We are so sinful that we would never choose God, that God is the one who has to make the first move. That's, that's what grace is. Grace makes the first move, that we would never make the first move ourselves because of our sin. But we need God to make the first move for us. And so we only love him because he loved us first and made the first move towards us. And I, I think it's important as well to remember that even when we come to God and even when we've we've repented of our sin and turned to him, there is this battle going on, you know, that we, we constantly have these these urges fighting inside of us, wanting to do the wrong thing, wanting to do do the right thing. You know, that sin is such a powerful thing that we need to battle against it constantly and we need to be praying and asking God constantly for help of the Holy Spirit in order to, to do what is right and to live the way that God wants us to. And it's an important question to think about, you know, have I given up that fight? Have I stopped the fight against sin? Because if we have stopped the fight against sin, then I don't think we're growing and, and we're even living a Christian life. You know, the Christian life is a fight. It is a battle against sin every day, all, no, all the time. That doesn't mean we'll never get any victories. And by God's grace, I do hope that you know, each of us are growing in holiness and walking more in, in the ways that God wants us to, to walk. So it doesn't mean that it's a life of failure, but it's a constant life of battle against sin in the different ways that God calls us to fight against sin, which will be different for me than it is for you. Are we battling against sin or have we stopped fighting? Thirdly and finally, the perspective of Samson. And as, as I said, Samson, he, he was uh, immature and he was selfish. You know, he, he only really cared about what he wanted to do. And yet God still used him. And I think that should give us confidence in thinking, yes, I may be selfish and immature sometimes, but God can still use the things that I do for him and for good. Because you know, God is capable of doing that. And now what we need to do is not not wait until we get to a particular level of maturity or particular level of, you know, um, we think, oh, I'm 90% I'm, I'm holy now, I'm all right. You know, because we never get there. All we can do is say to God, Lord, you can have me today with all of my failings, with all of my 
flaws, all of my sin, everything. Take me today and use me today and God will and God will use us and God is able even despite our flaws, failings and sin and all of that, God is still able to use us and able to put us to good work for his kingdom and for his glory if we put us put ourselves at his disposal and we win that victory not through ourselves but by the holy spirit and this is where i want to finish just thinking about that you know that how we win that victory not through our own strength but through the holy spirit that samson at the end of the day he begins to realize this that he's not winning these battles through his own power and strength but because god has enabled him to win and it's the same with us, you know, that we don't depend on our own strength. And if you feel weak, as I do very much of the time, if you feel like you need God's help a lot of the time, and goodness me, you know, I feel like I need it all the time, then actually that's a good thing. Because we don't win when we feel strong, but when we feel weak, when we feel the need to depend on God, that is when God can really use us. Not a, a bunch of strong people going around accomplishing lots of things on their own strength, but weak people who are going around depending on God and who are enabling God to work his power in weakness. And that's one of the really precious truths, actually, that I find in throughout the Bible, that it's God's power made perfect in weakness. So I'm just going to finish by reading a passage from John's Gospel. We were thinking a little bit about how uh, comparing sort of Samson and, and Jesus, and we haven't drawn that out too much today, but I'd like to read you a little bit of what Jesus says. Uh, this is from John chapter 8, verse 34 to 36. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son Jesus the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He's the one who can set us free from our sin, who can take away its penalty, take away the punishment for sin. He can take away its power. He can free us. We don't have to be in slavery to sin anymore, that we can turn to him. And yes, we will still have that battle, but it's a battle that we can win through Jesus Christ. And one day we will be made complete in him. I hope that gives you a lot of confidence as you think about the battles that you may be facing. Think about it, victory through Jesus Christ, the one who can set us free. The sun sets you free. You shall be free indeed. So thank you very much for watching. I hope that you've enjoyed this video or this podcast. If you're listening on the podcast, please do share it with your friends. Please do click the like button or give me a rating or a review or whatever it is that you can do. Just, just click something and I'm sure something will happen. And I hope to see you again for one of these um, videos or podcasts uh, next week. Thanks very much, everyone. God bless.